dismissed to the children in toddlers' churches. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation is one of those books in the Bible that everyone just wants to know the mysteries of and and try to figure it out until you get into a deep Bible study of the book of Revelation. Then they kind of lose interest for some reason or another. Uh, because we need to understand something, and it's told to us in the first verse. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you just need to grab a hold of one truth. This book The book of Revelation is not about the Antichrist. It's not about all of the strange miracles and the weird phenomena that is described in the book of Revelation. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand one point. It's about Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is about. And uh, when we get to verse 3 here, it says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, I want to challenge you that the earliest possible that this book could have been written was somewhere around 95 A.D. The latest would be possibly 10 years later uh, uh, between 95 and 105, uh, that was the actual year. Could, could I just challenge you? That was a long time ago. Uh, depending, uh, even the newest date, 105, would still qualify for a very long time. And yet God said, these things are at hand. And so as, as we, Lord willing, the next several weeks we're going to spend a little time. We're not going to go through every chapter in the book of Revelation. But what I want us to do the next several Sunday mornings is learn a little bit more about Jesus. And as we learn about Jesus, we're going to learn about something else. We're going to learn about His church. In fact, we, as we see, I'll, I'll give you one of the main points of the message this morning before we even start. As we go through this chapter, you're going to find out that you cannot separate Jesus Christ from his church. If, if you're going to deal with Jesus Christ, you're going to deal with his church. And, and you better be careful how you deal with it. Jesus is not playing games here. He is not giving us an alternative. We, we often, in Baptist circles, downplay the, uh, I guess the best word would be, the foolish machinations of mankind in denominational worship. Uh, as they come and they give the church all this authority, and uh, the Pope now, as of... Uh, what was it, 1845 or something, can actually speak ex cathedra, uh, meaning that he speaks for the voice of God with no chance of error. Now, if you're the Pope and you want to say that about yourself, uh, be my guest. But if you want to read what's in the Bible, it's not about men. It's about Jesus. And every so often we'll have some fantastic personality arise and people will say, Wow, if, if we could only preach like Billy Graham or if we could only be... Well, they used to say Jimmy Swagger, but they don't say that anymore. Uh, uh, or, or raise money like Jimmy Baker, but they don't say that anymore. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. God's not interested in personalities. He's interested in Himself. Because the absolute best thing that could happen to you is to get to know Jesus. Could we say amen to that? You see, 
sometimes people have incredible misconceptions about what church is and what church isn't. Church is about Jesus. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to find out Jesus is about his church. And we need to get a revelation, not of Baptist doctrine, though Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine, unless you're one of those who just wear the name because they like it, but true historic Baptist doctrine is connected. But we don't get our doctrine because of who we were. I was not raised in a Baptist church. I was raised in one of those churches that was kind of like a Baptist church. And uh, as I remember growing up in that church, I was impressed by that fact. In fact, people told us, we're, we're not of any denomination. We're our own thing. Well, could I tell you that church I grew up in now, if you were to ask them what kind of church they were, they said, well, historically we have been a Baptist church and now we're identifying as an independent fundamental Baptist church. Yes. And uh, I made that same journey when I went off to Bible college. And I like to put it this way. Uh, I, I knew that God had called me to be a pastor and that he wanted me to start a church somewhere. And, and I, I was hoping that God would use me to start more than one, but uh, made an amazing discovery. I didn't have a right to start my own if Jesus had already started his. So I was baptized as a sophomore in Bible college because I wanted to do things the Bible way. And I became a Baptist because if we're going, and I'm just going to make the statement, if you want proof, see me afterwards and we'll try to set up some time because it, it takes a lot of time to give you all the proof. But if you want to find the church of Jesus Christ today, the only place you can find it is in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. It's the only connection you can make. Lots of good imitations out there, but Jesus' church is found in a church that believes and practices what this book teaches. And I didn't become a Baptist because they offered the greatest benefits or whatever. Uh, that's a joke. I, I became a Baptist because I wanted to be a part of what Jesus started. And so as we open the book of Revelation, this book of mystery... We will find much of the fog and the smoke blown away by just reading the first phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to, unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So we start in verse 4 after this introduction and John says... John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So we start with the idea here, the the message here, that this message is to the seven churches. Now, if you've ever studied the book of Revelation at all or read a commentary on it, uh, by the time they get to this verse, verse 4 here, to the seven churches, they want to explain that these churches are not churches, but they're church ages. And, uh, and they represent different periods of time. And I've heard many preachers make a comment, well, we're in the last days, we're in the Laodicean church, and we can't help but be lukewarm and make God sick. Well... I remember a verse in Matthew chapter 16 that said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And if the whole church of Jesus were made lukewarm and nauseating to God, does that sound like the devil may have prevailed against church? Sure does to me. You see, even the Catholics came up with this one. And I've heard some Baptists use it very similar. See, only God's church could endure such evil as the Catholic popes and church has practiced and still be God's church. Does that make any sense to you? How could the church of Jesus Christ endure, produce, and be subjugated to such evil and still be Jesus' church. I want to challenge you, that can't happen. And it never has. And it never will. Jesus has a cure for a church that disobeys Him. He blows out the candle. He takes the candle out of the candlestick. And it's no longer his church. Does the building stay up? Absolutely. Do the people keep coming? Oh, for sure. Does the preacher keep preaching? Yeah. But it's not his church. Because they disobeyed and they turned their back upon the one who lit the candle. Amen? And so, we need to understand that this message is to the churches. Don't get wrong. Only Jesus saves. In fact, you can't become a member of this church until after the issue of your salvation is settled. The church is non-topical to you until you get saved. Yes, if you come to church, you're going to hear the gospel message. Amen. We, we talk about it. I, I don't know if we've ever had a service that we haven't mentioned that Jesus saves souls and He's the only source of salvation. That's what it means up here behind me. That it is finished. Jesus has done all that it needs for you to go to heaven. And if you're going to be saved today, you've got to come to Him and Him alone. You see, the church doesn't give you salvation. The church can't take it away. The church does not have that power. Only Jesus does. But if you're going to be a part of the church, you've got to get saved first. And, and a question that I like to ask over the years, I've had several uh, more than several, unfortunately, people come and say, well, listen, Pastor, I, I like what goes on at this church. And, and uh, boy, I, I like the way that you preach the Bible because it comes right from the Bible. But, you know, I, I'm really not, not sure I'm ready to be a member yet, but I'd like to be baptized. And I say, well, it doesn't work that way. You, you can't have part of a relationship with Jesus. And my question is, if you really trusting Jesus to save you, 
Why can't you trust Him to help you live for Him each and every day? And that comes through a relationship with a local church. You see, there's no such thing as a universal, invisible church. As we get through here, we're going to find out it doesn't ever address the church as a single corporate unit. It addresses the churches. You know why? Because there were seven literal living congregations that were assembled in different cities and these letters were directed to them to give them a greater knowledge of who Jesus is and what He wanted to do in their life and through their lives as a church. You know, when a missionary calls, one of the first questions I I try to find out is, uh, are you about church planning? Are are you going to go to this field that God has called you to, or are you going to do something else? And many times, uh, uh, you know, uh, missionaries are trying to raise money. and Oh yeah, we're a church planning missionary. I'm going to work in the Bible college training preachers. I said, well, that's good. We, we, need, we need professors. And, and we support several men and, and women who are involved in health ministries. We do that. But that needs to be kept to a lower level than we support church planting. Hey, pastors need helpers. They can't do it all by themselves. And on the foreign field, you're very limited in how you can hire and and get the kind of help you need. In many situations, it's almost impossible. And, And so you would need helpers. And we're not against that. But the main work of the missionary is to start churches. Amen? And that's, that's what we're interested in. Because no matter what you do, if you're truly going to serve Jesus Christ, you must be personally involved in a local assembly of believers. And that assembly of believers has got to be connected by the words that are in this book. And there's a process, and we'll we'll talk about that as we go on through the letters, Lord willing, in the next several weeks. But look at this. And from Jesus, who is the faithful witness and first begotten of the dead. How do you get saved, my friend? If you're here today and you're saved, how did you get saved? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Do you think John was reading Paul's letter to the Romans when he wrote this? I doubt it sincerely. Because he was exiled on the island of Patmos in the Greek sea. But... It might be possible that the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write those words was inspiring John to write these words. And so we have a unity in message here. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. But He's made us kings and priests. He's got a purpose for us. Salvation is not the end goal. It is just so amazing to me how much religion in the name of Jesus offers a trip to heaven or eternity with God as the ultimate goal or the ultimate achievement. Nothing could be a greater blasphemy against the words of this book than that. You start with the knowledge of eternity in heaven. But God has a purpose and a plan. He has a place of service. He has things for us to do. And He's coming back. Amen? 
And then let's get down to verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother. Isn't that an amazing condescension? A lowering of himself and his stat. John was the beloved disciple. He was the one that actually leaned on Jesus instead of the couch at the Last Supper. He was the one that stood with him at the cross when everyone else had fled. And here's what John has to say about his position in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation. Now, you want to read about tribulation, read the rest of this book. But John was not speaking lightly. Any historical account that we have, any rumors that we have of the life of John was... He spent a life of suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. He is exiled to an island out in the Aegean Sea because the Romans couldn't kill him. And God was keeping him alive. Now there's a a story that they tried to dip John in a pot of boiling oil and it never killed him. I don't know if that's true or not. Could it be true? Well, there's a lot of things that could be true. Uh, But that's not where our faith rests in man's stories and legends. Where our faith rests is what is written down in this book. And John was exiled to an island where nobody lived because everybody John met, they either got mad or got saved, one of the two. And John was just that kind of person. Yet we find him in verse 10 in a very special place. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when our church first uh, started, we actually rented space from a Seventh-day Adventist church. And the caretaker did everything he could to convince me that we were supposed to worship on Saturday and not Sunday. And uh, he said, that's a new thing. The council of whatever it was and three whatever it was, that established Sunday worship. Well, what in the world did John mean here in the book of Revelation when he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day? He wasn't talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about the first day of the week. The day that Jesus arose from the dead. The day that we, as a church, have worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ since Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus held the first church service Sunday night. And the next church service, the following Sunday night. Why did he hold those services on Sunday night? Because Sunday was a work day. Sabbath was the day of rest. See, people try to make Sabbath the day of worship. It's never been the day of worship. Sabbath is the day of rest. The fulfillment of the Sabbath is that I rest in Jesus Christ for my eternal salvation. And every day is a Sabbath of rest to the true believer in Jesus Christ. And we worship Him on the first day. On the eighth day, actually, the new beginning of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed us from our sins. And John was in the Spirit He could not attend church because there was no church. There was no people. But John was going to take that day and serve the Lord with it. And Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus gave him the revelation that is in this book. It says here that he heard behind, I heard and heard behind me a great voice. 
as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. We're going to stop right there. You see, the revelation of this book is not all about trying to explain the fantastic phenomena described here. The revelation of this book is about Jesus Christ. And John was the messenger. He was a brother. He is our brother in Jesus Christ. He is a companion in tribulation. Now we're going to learn a little bit about the message. Amen? Let's look at verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So here we get to meet the message. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And one of the few places in the Bible we have the glorified Christ uh, pictured for us uh, in words. And I have seen many people try to paint uh, the words of this picture. And, and uh, I, I don't like that. I, I think God has meant for us to think about these attributes and let the Holy Spirit himself paint the picture in our mind rather than trying to come up with some type of artist rendition. I'll, I'll tell you what John saw literally scared him to death. He fell at his feet as dead. John said, I saw one like unto the Son of Man. You know, John was intimate with Jesus for three years, one of the closest of the disciples. He knew what Jesus looked like as he walked this earth. And he said, it looks like him. There's a lot of confusion after the resurrection as Jesus appeared unto disciples and and they didn't know who he was. Jesus withheld his identity. But when he showed John himself on this occasion, John said, wow, that sure looks like Jesus. But I'll tell you, there's one mistake that no person is ever going to make again. When Jesus was here on earth, many made the mistake. Thou, being a man, makest thyself God. You know what? No one's going to make that mistake ever again. He says, he looks like Jesus, but there's, there's something that Jesus I knew, the Son of Man, 
That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He says he looks like him, but I'll tell you there's something, there's enough difference about this that never ever is anyone going to question who Jesus is. And if you could somehow render in a a world of computer graphic magic or something, what was actually here, somehow I don't think you would fall down out of fright by looking at the picture. But John did. Jesus had to pick him up. Jesus had to tell him not to be afraid. You know, I I wish we could take time to just spend here on on this. We we are far far too casual in our approach to Jesus Christ. We are Sometimes in our prayers, I I wonder if we do not insult His holiness and His goodness. The most misused phrase in the English language that I've heard of lately here is, Oh my God! I hope you never say that. Somebody says that around me, I usually say, It's not His fault! And always get weird looks. And say, well, don't blame Jesus for that. Oh, I wasn't. <laughs> well, then why are you saying, oh, my God, if you're not blaming Jesus for it? We need to understand something. He is the creator of this universe. He's clothed in a white garment, in a garment that goes from his neck down to his feet, about the middle of his chest, it says a golden girdle, a tie that went around there and held that robe in place, his hair, and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. That would be a little fearful to look at those eyes, would it not? And it tells us that his feet were like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Uh, One time I was in Manhattan, and we were passing out tracks, and there were some... uh, Screwy Louis Farrakhan's followers stand there on the street. And they were quoting. It says, what color were his feet? Like brass. And so Jesus was brown. He wasn't white. And I'm sitting there going, chalk another one up for Screwy Louis, huh? How many of you have ever seen brass as it's burned in a furnace? Uh, I've done some what is called brazing, where you get out a torch and you have a rod of brass and you actually melt that brass to connect two pieces of metal together. Let me tell you, as you begin the melting process burning in that flame, that brass begins to emanate almost like the element of a light bulb. In fact, if you do not wear eye protection... It it will literally burn the retinas out of your eyes. It is so bright. It is a glowing golden color. You see, what does it say? His countenance was like the sun in its strength. If you want to get a little idea of what John... Now, don't do this very long. I know that solar eclipse is coming up or coming up very soon. Don't watch it with your naked eye. Yes, please. If, if you do, you're going to do damage to your eyesight. But I'll, I'll tell you this. 
Next time, when if you go out this afternoon and all the clouds are gone and that hot afternoon sun is just gone, just take a quick glance and you'll get just that much of an idea of what John saw. But he could discern the features in that brightness. And you see something here? He had a voice as the sound of many waters. You know, Hollywood loves big sounds, don't they? In all of the epic movies, they have uh, something. Uh, and I don't recommend too many epic movies. Uh, most of them are garbage uh, but they did make a great movie about the, um, uh, the Coast Guard rescue. And they talk about the guys going out over the Chatham Bar there with 60-foot waves. And praise God, they used special effects. No one was put to danger. But, I mean, they put their lives on the line in a little 30-foot boat in 60-foot waves. And I'll tell you, the, cre- the, the sound when you turn up the bass on the, uh, I mean, that, hey, you're just sitting there going, wow. Nothing compared to this. IMAX surround sound, nothing compared to this. The best we can do. The sound of many waters. You see, his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, I want you to look a little bit about him here. Let's go back to verse 16. When it talks about the Lord's appearance, we've covered those things, but it says, in his right hand, seven stars. And we get down to the end of the chapter, and it says, the mystery of the stars is those stars are the angels of the seven churches. And we'll pick that up in a minute, but they're in Jesus' right hand. He is holding them. As John is describing Jesus, he cannot but stop there and and give us a view of what is in his right hand. And in his hand are seven stars. Now, if you would like to chase something that will really blow your imagination, look up the size of the stars that are in this universe in which our little planet is located. We're one of billions and billions of galaxies. Uh, I was listening to someone talk about it the other day, and they said that inside the space of the Big Dipper is a hundred million billion stars. Now, maybe I heard him wrong, but he sounded rather authoritative, like he knew what he was talking about. And the smallest star is just bigger than Jupiter and a little smaller than our sun. The largest star is so big it defies even imagination. And they, if you look it up on Wikipedia, they got a picture there, a chart, and they'll show, uh, start out. But you have to go through six different slides to get to the big ones. Because by the time you get to the biggest star, our sun would not even show up as the minutest pixel on the, on the screen. Uh, the scale would be so large that they can't even show our sun in comparison. And yet Jesus had seven stars in his right hand. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And let's not forget where he was standing in the midst of the candlesticks. You know, the first thing that John saw 
was the candlesticks. Do you think that was purposeful? I promise you it was. Because everything in this book is purposeful. God does not waste words. He he does not play games here. He does not uh, just exercise things. He wants us to understand the intimacy of Christ and His churches. That The first thing He saw as He turned to see the voice was He saw the seven candlesticks. And in the middle of those seven candlesticks was one likened to the Son of Man, and He was holding those seven stars. And there's been an awful lot said about who those seven stars are and that, but the word angel in your Bible simply means messenger. And the messenger to the church is the pastor. And so those angels that he is speaking to are the pastors. Because it is a pastor's responsibility to lead the church at the direction of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. And I thank the Lord as the pastor of Open Door Bible Baptist Church for nearly 25 years. There's very few times that I've had to stand up before this congregation and explain the position of a pastor and the authority that God has given a pastor. There's been a few occasions. I do not take that authority lightly. But I also don't believe it's my job to preach on it every Sunday. Because the people who are following Christ don't have a problem with it. We work together. The only times I've had to really bring it up is when someone has stood up and tried to do their own thing and direct their own path. And that's not the way church is. You see, church is all about Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants his star, is the word that's used here, to direct what goes on in those churches. And Jesus makes this appearance to John in such a way that we cannot separate Jesus from the churches. Now, why is that? It's very simple. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, if you go back to Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13, where the church is explained as to what it is, the church is what? The body of Christ. Each individual church is supposed to bring forth the image of, And the message and the revelation, revelation is giving information that you cannot get. How many of you remember the first time you picked up this book called the Bible and tried to read it? Did it make a lot of sense to you? In fact, many of you attended churches where the the priest or the whatever, the the, uh, uh, official whatever he is, speaker there at the church would tell you, oh, you can't understand this. You've got to come to me and let me explain it to you. And yet, what's our message? You see, as a member, you have a responsibility to read what's in this book and to understand that what the preacher's preaching is what's coming from the pages. See, that's how it's supposed to work. Preachers aren't without error. Jesus is. And if there's anything that I want you to take from this message today, it is simply this. We have assembled as a church since October 7th or 8th of 1992 
under the authority of the Cleveland Baptist Church and then organized as our own church in 1994 and now sending out other people to start other churches, we have assembled as a church to serve Jesus Christ. Period. That's why we give to missions to serve Jesus Christ. That's why we do everything that we do as a church. And here's the point I want you to get. If you're going to serve Jesus, there are no other alternatives. There are no other options. I remember as a young preacher before we held our first service, we we spent a year working with All Nations Bible Baptist Church, which then was in Elmhurst. It's moved and changed its name and and several other things. But we worked a whole year there, and uh, I uh, we lived down on Staten Island actually. And uh, it was just a wonderful place. We were only about uh, less than a mile from the shore, and it was kind of just way down on the south end of the island there. And so I'd just get out and get by myself and walk up and down that shore, and I started asking myself all kinds of stupid questions. I said, now I'm in New York City, and nobody cares. Absolutely true. And uh, what in the world am I going to do? And, and, and I started going over what's in this book called the Bible when I found out that the only thing I could do to serve God and do something that makes a difference is be obedient and by God's grace see a church established. I was told by many preachers that we would never establish a church, that we would always be on support, and we would always need outside help. I praise God, that's not true. In fact, we've given back to missions far more than was given to us to start church and buy the building. Well over a million dollars in 25 years. And that doesn't count the money that we've spent to fix the building and pay salaries and keep things going here. And I'll tell you what, Con Edison's gotten a great chunk of that money. And that's not included there. It's because God's people have coveted together to follow Jesus Christ inside the organization called the local church. It's God's plan. There are no others. You see, the message of salvation is the message of Jesus Christ. He's the one that loved us and washed us from our sins with his blood. Can we say amen to that? He's the one that ordained baptism. And by the way, we're baptizing three tonight from Morris Park Bible Baptist Church. Brother Franz will be here and uh, we're sending the van up there to pick him up and bring him back. You see... We don't have a baptistry up there, but we got one here. And so tonight we're going to have a short business meeting and we're going to authorize Brother Franz to baptize and give him that authority. You see, the authority comes from the Word of God, but it comes through the church. See, we're going to get to live the book of Revelation a little bit. Isn't that cool? We're going to exercise those things. That Jesus wants his church to do. And guess what? Sometimes it's not all pleasant, as you well know. 
But John did say he was our brother and companion in tribulation. So guess what? It's worth it to serve Jesus. Is it not? Amen? You see... The world tells us all, lo- all roads lead to Rome, and maybe they do. But there's only one path that leads to Jesus, and that's this book called the Bible. There's all kinds of things. If you want to find a religion that agrees with you, just get on the Internet. You will find it. There's got to be somebody out there that's already thought of everything you've thought of. I don't want to be too crude this morning, but there's somebody out there as sick as you are, I promise you. And even worse. But if you want a cure for that, you surrender yourself to the words that are in this book. And you'll find an order and a path that's been well trod over the centuries. One that you do not need to be ashamed of even though many people have tried to sully the name. You see, our message is Jesus. If he were to walk down that aisle this morning, every one of us would be in a dead faint. Because he is the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. He is the one that paid for every sin on the cross. He is the one who loved us and gave himself for us. What's he ask of us? To assemble together and to worship him. Could I challenge you? Think about that when we sing the songs. Think about that when we have the prayer time. Think about that when the offering plate comes around. Everything we do is worship to God. We need to learn a little more about Jesus. He's not some effeminate sissy. He is the God-man who endured the cross in our place that we might be saved. And he says, serve me in my church. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning.